Welcome to the debut podcast of the Maroon Weekly. I'm your host, Austin. And I'm Miles. Hey, everyone. I'm Quinn Kane. I'm Natalia. I'm Isaac Krakoka. I'm Jack. I'm Pupo. I'm Julia. I'm Ron. I'm Charlie. I'm Beza. I'm Joanna. I'm Matthew. And I'm Ruth. In the past week, as I'm sure you're well aware of by now, the University of Chicago announced plans to transition to remote learning to combat the spread of the novel coronavirus. Okay, so... uh, You know, things have not been normal, to say the least. I don't know. Okay, for me, it feels like you're back, but we're not really back. When life on campus starts to return to normal, the Maroon will be there to report on it. Listeners and welcome to the Maroon Weekly. I'm Pravan. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm Carter. And I'm Greg. Welcome to our 100th episode of the Maroon Weekly. This is a very special moment for us. We're happy to all of you who have tuned in, and especially happy to all of you who have stayed with us for the past 100 episodes. We're looking forward to putting on many more for you guys. First of all, I'll start with um, how are you all? How, how was your break? How was how was week one? Yeah, it's definitely been a while since we last uh, recorded an episode. Um, my break was fine. I went, I went back home, which is Florida, so admittedly, pretty nice to get out of the cold. I just went back home to Boston. Less of a respite from um, the cold, but it was a valuable respite from just the, the rhythm of work here. Um, it was good to relax, catch up with some friends, and uh, now I get to hop into another quarter, get back into it. Yeah, I went hiking in Utah uh, at Arches National Park and Canyonlands National Park. It was uh, very cold at nighttime, but during the day it was gorgeous. Um, I'm looking forward to this quarter. First week um, has been suspiciously calm. Uh, Let's keep it that way, I hope. (laughs) We'll see how long that lasts. Uh, Yeah. Wonderful. My first week has been sort of dominated by the uh, South Asian Students Association show, which was put on. Um, Saturday night, and uh, I was I was in the performance, one of the performances, and it was uh, it was a great time for all of us performers, and a lot of the audience had had a lot of fun with it as well. So, what did you perform? I was in the classical Indian music act, and uh, there were lots of dance acts. There was an a cappella act. There was a fashion show. There was a there was a murder mystery skit. And it was it was very nice. It was it was awesome to sort of like share a lot of different aspects of uh, South Asian culture with. The broader Chicago community. So, was there a dinner beforehand? There was a dinner as well. I was uh, studying with a friend of mine who said that he hadn't eaten any food all day because he was waiting for this dinner and it was all you can eat, and he was really just wanting to save his appetite for that. Yeah, the food is really good. That's good. Where, <laughs> was, the, where was the dinner catered from? Uh, from I believe Tandoor Kitchen. I have to add that to my list. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's local. I, I, I believe it's from uh, outside of Hyde Park, but it was very good. Support local restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I guess we'll get started with the news. We'll, we'll go to Jake first for a story about the unions. Thank you, Brevin. On Thursday, March 16th, University of Chicago graduate students voted overwhelmingly to unionize. A notable victory in the Graduate Student United United Electrical's 15-year push for recognition from the university. 
The last time that grad students voted to unionize was in 2017. Back then, 70% of voters wished to unionize, but the university challenged their legal right to do so, and ultimately GSU withdrew the unionization attempt. They withdrew alongside graduate student unions at Yale and Boston University so that the then Republican-controlled National Labor Relations Board, or NLRB, couldn't set a precedent denying graduate student workers the right to unionize. But today's political climate is different. Joe Biden's NLRB appointees withdrew a rule proposed under the Trump administration that would have hindered grad student unionization. And since then, graduate students at BU, MIT, and Northwestern have all unionized without formal challenges from their universities. This most recent vote that took place just over um, a week ago saw a whopping 92% of voters call for unionization, a notable increase over the 70% mark from six years ago. And just a day after the NLRB certified those election results, Provost Kai C. Lee emailed the university community and announced the university's commitment to bargain in good faith with the GSU, a notable departure from the university's stance in 2017. Many of our listeners have likely received a number of emails from Provost Lee in the past, signaling the university's opposition to unionization and their position that unionization would actually harm graduate students by adding costs and bureaucracy. But after 92% of voters signaled that they thought otherwise, the university has finally acknowledged the right to unionize and is agreeing to work with the graduate students. Internal elections for the union's bargaining committee took place from March 20th to 23rd. And soon, that bargaining committee will begin contract negotiations with the university's administration. This report is based on two articles written by Eric Fain and Laura Gersony for the Chicago Maroon, both of which are available on the Maroon's website. It's interesting. It's certainly been a contentious issue on campus for a number of years, I guess. Yeah. Admittedly, I don't know much about unionization. Well, I'm posing this question to you. I feel like you would know <laughs> about this. Like, what would the implications be for the college? Oh. Like there could be many different implications. First of all, how they treat grad students is a big thing. A lot of professors really run grad students into the ground, um, you know, making them work extremely long hours. Um, when it also comes to pay, um, what does that look like um, on the university side of things? Also, when it comes to benefits, healthcare benefits. Um, so there's a lot of different dynamics that might change um, with the union arriving. Uh, I. I kind of want to see what the um, bargaining unit comes out with uh, as, as, as a plan, because um, I think that'll shape um, how the university responds and um, the changes that we might see as students ourselves. Whenever a group unionizes, you can't always tell immediately what the effects will be um, outside of their main manifesto, which I believe was adequate health care, legal representation um, for uh, foreign students, um, and so forth. So I, w I would like to see where this goes. Um, I also want to know if this will be a closed or open union. Um, that meaning, will people from, uh, will, will, will graduate students who don't want to be part of the union be allowed to not be part of the union? Or will grad students who are working for the university be forced to be part of the union? Um, and I don't say forced in any biased way, just kind of trying to understand um, if they'll have to be part of the union. So yeah, I, I'm really interested in seeing where this goes. Um, it's kind of uncharted territory for, for you, Chicago, when it comes to grad student unionization. Um, so I'd At the very least, hopefully our, our TAs for all our classes will be, be happier and, and <laughs> yeah. sort of that'll spill into our, our own education. Yes, I hope the TAs are happier when they're grading my papers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's funny. I remember, uh, like, um, 
I guess it was almost two years ago now. I was at the initial podcast like info session with Isaac, who's our previous like chief editor, and he recalled how you know one year the TAs I think went on strike for one of his, and that affected I don't know his chem grading. So, like you, I'm curious as to how it'll play out. Yeah, and there is this wave of grad student unionizations nationally that I mentioned. Um, BU voted in just December to unionize. 14-14 to 28 was the vote. Um, I don't know if anyone, let's see what the math is on that. But um, overwhelmingly, like there are other schools that are, are voting to do this. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it develops differently in different places. Um, 92% of, of, uh, of eligible grad students in, in our election, so... The overwhelming support of the union is kind of yeah. shocking. I mean, as someone who's a political junkie, to win an election with 92%, that is incredible. Okay, at BU it was over 98%. Jesus, that is crazy. And yeah. I wonder what accounts for those differences. Um, yeah. I've actually seen, I, I live on BU's campus, and I've seen a number of demonstrations. Um, I, I ran with the BU running club some back in September, and one of the guys who was in my running group was a um, PhD student there, and he would tell us about push for unionization. He was a major supporter of it. Um, so I learned some from that. Yeah, as you guys said, it is very interesting that the that it seems like the 92% in favor is almost a low number when it comes to comparing to other schools, like how in support these, uh, these graduate students are. It might be a very small and ultimately not very meaningful difference because we're all unionized, but it does, I guess, show a little bit about how uh, how our grad students sort of like feel about our administration compared to maybe Northwestern's or BU's grad students feel about theirs. Interestingly, at MIT, it was just 66%. I'm just Googling this number now. That was almost a year ago, April 8th, 2022. The article came out in the tech. Very interesting. I wonder if there's a correlation between how humanities-based school is versus how STEM-based school is and their graduate student unionization outcomes. I could run those regressions. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't like math. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I can take the next story, which is on the flags on the midway that many of you might have seen. stories. <laughs> what flags? <laughs> well, as many of you know, over spring break, the Chicago administration installed bright orange flags, along with please look before crossing signs at crosswalks across the midway, as well as additional signs around various intersections on campus. This has happened in response to multiple pedestrian collisions over the past few months. Most recently, a pedestrian was hit on March 9th at the intersection of 58th Street and Ellis Avenue, which has added to two collisions on 55th and a third along the Midway, all since the beginning of January. All these individuals that were hit were transported to UC Medicine. The 2023 numbers are much higher than their 2022 and 2021 counterparts, with only two pedestrians being hit from January to March last year and only one the year before. Since the writing of this article, most of the signs have disappeared with many students claiming to have stolen them. But uh, anyway, this article can be found online <laughs> and in print at the Hyde Park Herald. Claiming to have stolen them? <laughs> yeah, I did not steal one for the record, although it definitely sounds like something that I know many students would Carter, do. why are you winking at me? <laughs> no, I, I've seen these sorts of flags before, um, especially in popular touristy areas. Not on college campuses, admittedly, usually somewhat more family-oriented, um, but I, I guess it, it is helpful. It is certainly helpful to, for visibility um, in, in cases where drivers might not be looking. So I am glad if it does reduce collisions. These flags are part of the university's pedestrian safety week. Is that what they're terming it? Does yeah. it I, you know, 
Pedestrian Safety Week. Um, it, it feels like the university just took Pedestrian Safety Week to blame all these traffic issues uh, on pedestrians. Uh, this is. <laughs> I am very passionate about this. First of all. Did the university not realize that students will steal these flags? Um, they're very <laughs> stealable. I mean, you can just pick one up and, and take it right back to your dorm. Um, second of all, why are we blaming the pedestrian for, for pedestrians getting hit on the midway? The midway was designed in the 1870s or 1890s, if I'm not mistaken, alongside, alongside the World Fair. Uh, yeah. Back then, how fast were vehicles going and how many vehicles were there? Compared to today, where the midway is at the heart of, of, of a robust university like the University of Chicago, and vehicles travel uh, at God knows what speeds nowadays. <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel like I've seen cars going over 60 miles per hour on the midway I've seen cars driving right through stop signs not slowing down at crosswalks if the university was serious about pedestrian safety they'd work alongside the uh, the city of Chicago to you know have raised uh, pedestrian crossings you know or, or grade separating pedestrian crossings they would have RRFDs which are the flashing pedestrian crossing lights at, at pedestrian crossings um, they would you know possibly install speed humps on the midway um, even just take in between North and, and Max P um, uh, on, on 56 where, where, where you can cross. Um, just putting those stop and look signs, um, you can't even see pedestrians crossing there. I've driven on 56 in between Max and North um, and there's often a car parked right in front of the crosswalk. Um, mm -hmm. So you can't even, as a pedestrian, you can't see into the street when you're crossing. Vehicles can't see you. Well, um, when they're coming. Uh, so, uh, you know, U Chicago has one of the best urban planning departments in the country. We're also famous for the Chicago School of Sociology, which, which basically pioneered uh, parts of the urban planning study. Um, so, so I feel like this, this pedestrian safety week and these flags and, 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 and very stealable signs um, is an insult to the, the academic rigor and, and, and um, just academic history of, of this great institution. A scathing report on pedestrian Yes. Yeah, well, like you, I am in, like, 100% in favor of pedestrianization of, like, the entirety of campus. And I know the, um, the crosswalk you're talking about, and it, it, I, I don't understand why there isn't, you know, at least stop sign or something. And if you want to know something funny, more, I, I keep tally of this because it, it really pisses me off. Um, more often than not, it's a UCPD car that is blocking the that is blocking the crosswalk. You know, so you know, not 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 making any statement against police, but UCPD, stop putting your cars there. You're putting students in danger. You know, it's yeah, um, it just yeah, just this is yeah. One one good thing to come out of Pedestrian Safety Week, Greg. I don't know if you've been to Cecil and noticed the the memes that they have up. Yes, like, that they're projecting. Yes. I don't know who what social media intern is doing those, <laughs> but the CS department. So, someone puts has put up a number of just hilarious like graphics about Pedestrian Safety Week that don't take it too seriously. It's good for them. Shout out! Shout out to you. Um, made me laugh on my way to see us more than once. One of them was like, you know, be careful with the orange um, flags since they have GPS trackers in them. <laughs> Just spreading blatant misinformation. It's, we love to see that. I mean, as much as I love to wave a flag around, um, I, I, don't, I don't think these flags are, are keeping me safe. <laughs> <laughs> but at least they're cheaper than the... <laughs> 
<laughs> alternatives that you suggested. Well, I, I, I do believe that investing in pedestrians is the right, right way to go. Um, I'm with just, you on that. Yeah. I, I, I have a lot of thoughts on these. Um, I, have, I also have a lot of thoughts on, on parking on the midway um, and the fact that a lot of it is, not, is free. Um, this is a big subsidy to cars and a big danger to pedestrians. Um, just, yeah. And as for them being stolen, you know, like Carter, I'll preface by saying, you know, I didn't steal. I promise <laughs> I did not steal any of the flags or the signs. But I, I understand the appeal because I'm someone who likes collecting, you know, just random souvenirs. So, like, I have, um, I don't know, like, uh, plane tickets from years ago and all, just all sorts of things. So I, I see the appeal, but I do not condone stealing. Just putting that out there. Well, none of us condone stealing. Yeah, I, I hope uh, the official statement of this podcast is that we don't <laughs> don't steal anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But whether those flags will remain on the midway, that is. Have they remained on the midway? When I was walking here, I actually, you know, went to one like crosswalk, and there's only like one flag remaining. Oh, there was so. still a flag. Yeah, there was still a flag. Wow. Um, I thought they'd gone extinct. Uh, we we should protect the flags um, and make sure that they remain. You know, we can't let the university's pedestrian week end in vain. <laughs> so. I think it'll be over, what, tomorrow? So, <laughs> week of March 20th. Yes. Maybe it's all part of the university's effort to establish a new crossing guard school. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. The Chicago School of Theoretical Crossing Guard Studies. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll start getting ads on Instagram for their new <laughs> crosswalk guard training program. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Dean mm. Boyer might announce a, a crossing guard school, a flag school. You never know. Yeah. Is Dean Boyer announcing much these days? Uh, no, but you never know. Has his uh, welcome to spring quarter announcement come out yet? He has one of those every quarter, I assume. It, it has not. I haven't seen it. There's a video, and I, I've always uh, chided myself for not watching the video. <laughs> I never really? watch them. I, I love watching them. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like as much... Dean Boyer is very calming when he talks. Um, it's, like, it's very reassuring. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, I felt that at uh, at uh, what was it called? The like, was it, is convocations that like the first the first yeah. thing you do as a first year. Yeah. Yeah. When you meet in Rockefeller and yeah, well, for us it was outside. That, but yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. COVID. COVID. It might be uh, the mustache. It might be the mustache. I also like to like see where he chooses to like do the videos um the first one for fall quarter was um the backdrop of chicago i think he shot it at the point um last quarter was from um the bj library or bj whatever room they had a nice fireplace in the background um and he was talking about the history of you chicago but in the first video it's it's, it's really interesting um where where he chooses to to film um and i i, I look forward to seeing where he'll film this time Maybe he might film with uh, one of their crossing flags. In the four years I've been here, I don't think I've ever watched one of those videos. You should. I highly recommend to our, our listeners to, to read Dean Boyer's book um, and to watch the videos. He is a fascinating guy. Were you sponsored? Huh? <laughs> no, I do need to get my GPA up, so. Yeah. All right. Anything goes. All right. <laughs> Back to the news, we're going to go back to Will for a story about animal rights. 
Yes, um, Compass Group, the parent company of UChicago's food provider Charwell's Higher Education, is responding to allegations of animal cruelty in a number of their facilities. Since 2016, animal welfare organization the Humane League and student organizations at several universities have accused Compass Group of raising chickens and pigs in inhumane conditions. Protests began at New York University um, with the student organization Animal Welfare Collective um, in September 2022. This came after the Humane League made claims about the company's inhumane treatments of animals, specifically chicken and pigs, in August. Compass Group has committed to improving the welfare of chickens raised for poultry by following the standards set by the Better Chicken Commitment and has presented uh, the Humane League with a timeline. The Humane League spokesperson Karen Horwich told the Maroon, uh, according to Horwich, Compass plans to source certain breeds of chicken called higher welfare breeds, which grow less rapidly and are less prone to health issues. Additionally, Hersich uh, reports that Compass Group has agreed to move away from their live shackle slaughter method. This method entails the chickens being tossed into shackles made of metal and sent into an electrical water bath, which is meant to render them unconscious before slaughter. That is um, quite the process. According to Hersich, Compass Group claims that they will present a detailed plan for these changes in 2023. University spokesperson Gerald McSwagon said, The university works closely with Chartwells to uphold a range of best practices in food, produ food production and sourcing. We remain in communication with Chartwells as they continue to enhance sustainability across their supply chain. Notably, Compass Group declined to comment on the implementation of their new practices. This story was first reported on by Carolyn Russell. Um, this is just a very interesting story to me. As someone who um, sort of believes in effective altruism and just the betterment of animal welfare, uh, it's kind of shocking the, the practices that, that Chartwells uses. I think also Chartwells markets themselves as a very clean, sustainable food company. Um, and then to hear about these practices is just disheartening. And uh, I think the greenwashing being done by the company is stunning. Yeah, I mean, the logos are all over the dining halls about the benefits of, of you know, their sourcing good food. Yeah. Um, and uh, to hear that they're not exactly the most truthful comments, um, at least insofar as their animal rights processes go, is, yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate, especially since students don't have the choice to opt out of this. It's not like students can avoid this if they believe that the practices are unethical. Students are at least required to pay for, if not attend, um, these dining halls. Yeah, I mean, the, that's, those are some pretty vile examples. The live shackle slaughter method, yes. gestation crates, I mean, just the terms alone are pretty hard to process. Um, it's terrible that this, these things are happening. I'm sure this isn't the only company that has such practices, but um, still terrible to think that we're interfacing with those sorts of practices pretty much every day that we go to the dining hall. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's 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 very disheartening to see. Um, I think the American meat industry in general has decent, good practices. I mean, I, I recommend people read Glorious Beef by Pat LaFrieda. Um, he's a New York-based butcher um, that sells pretty good steaks and other cuts of beef, uh, as well as poultry, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and also, having known some people who, who run um, slaughter facilities, uh, they care a lot about the animals, um, so it, it really is disheartening when you see organizations like Chartwells and Compass Dining um, 
you know, violating animal welfare standards um, and, and, and so forth. It, it is really disheartening um, to see. Um, that's just my opinion, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly a vegetarian on campus. And now that I, now that I hear these, these stories, I'm encouraged to delete the mostly and sort of think a lot more about my own meat consumption in the dining halls because, wow, that, that's, that's like really hitting it home for me. Yeah. And, and I would like to say this by, uh, preface this by saying not all uh, meat production is as bad as, as what Chartwells is doing. Um, you know, there are, there are plenty of, of, of different uh, meat providers across this country who um, really work hard to uphold the standards of their animals. Um, but it is really disheartening when, when I see, you know, organizations like these just horribly treating their animals. Um, but if you don't mind me asking, how is it being a, veget a vegetarian on, on, on campus, or somewhat a vegetarian on campus, um, given that, you know, when I try to, like, find vegetables uh, at, at U Chicago, it's, it's mostly just the, the squash, sometimes broccoli? Yeah, I mean, some, you, do, you, do get, you do get some of that. Uh, I, I guess I eat a lot of the vegan stations. Mm. Sometimes I eat meals where they're not generally supposed to be like I eat cereal for for dinner sometimes yeah. um, which you know it's it's unusual but it works it it nourishes me I suppose and I eat a lot of fruit okay yeah and I'm starting to get into salads more mm. so that's my experience yeah thank you all right our next story will be on a new religious RSO on campus from Carter Sure, some of you around campus may have seen flyers that went up last quarter asking if you'd be interested in joining a cult. Normally, that question might raise concern, but in this case, cult is an acronym for one of you Chicago's newest RSOs, Critical Understanding of Liturgies and Traditions. Fortunately, this, goal's, sorry, this cult's goal is educational, not arcane, in that they aim to create a space for students to discuss religion and its related cultural aspects through the lens of politics, economics, history, and more. Their kickoff event last quarter featured a panel of individuals whose work brings them back to religion time and again, including Associate Professor Sarah Fredericks, Professor Lori Zoloth, and uh, Charles Preston. The event was moderated by Russell Johnson, who was known for his popular spring course, Star Wars and Religion, one which I am gleefully taking this quarter. Uh, the panel discussed both what draws them personally to religious studies and why studying the subject is so relevant across disciplines. Yet the club's goal is not purely to teach. They also hosted a study break during ninth week of last quarter, screening the DreamWorks film The Prince of Egypt, accompanied by Food from the Nile. So it's great to see that they're also fostering um, a sense of community around this, not just an academic interest. This quarter, Colt is hosting a panel and roundtable discussion in association with the Organization of LGBTQ Plus Students, which will feature six panelists discussing their experiences as either queer Christians or LGBT-supporting clergy. That event is this coming Wednesday, March 29th at 6 p.m. in the Reynolds Club South Lounge. For the full profile of Colt, see the article in The Maroon by Catherine Weaver. This is an RSO I'm interested in, uh, in, look, in sort of going to their events and stuff. I haven't been yet, but it's on my list now. Yeah, I've seen a lot of their flyers. It does sound very interesting. I, I will probably go to this one on Wednesday if I can get out of some other commitments. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
I'm not too sure how I feel about the name cult as a practicing Episcopalian, but um, I am really interested in in, in this RSO. Um, I would I would love to attend the panel of LGBTQ Christians and LGBTQ uh, supporting clergy. Uh, as someone who grew up in a family that was deeply involved with the church, I had I have some family members who are deeply involved with the Catholic Church, the Episcopalian slash Anglican Church. Um, I would really like to hear um, different people's thoughts on this. Um, you know, it, it, growing up, it, this was one of the, the views which I've always struggled with with the church and, and, and their treatment of, of the LGBTQ community. Um, so I'd very much like to hear um, about other people's experiences um, and um, kind of from the perspective of the clergy, um, how to treat LGBTQ plus people, because I, I, I feel like the church has, has failed miserably many, uh, many a times um, in, yes, in exactly. fairly treating LGBTQ people. Mm. And I think this is, is going to be a, a great talk to bring about some of the individuals who are trying to change that in the church, or at least some churches. Uh, you did mention the name, and yeah, to be to be very clear, <laughs> Cole is intentionally humorous. They considered originally naming it something like Religious Studies Club, um, but Dr. Johnson gave them the idea to, to make a little acronym that plays on some of the public conceptions of religion, especially from those who are opposed to it as, you know, as a cult, as a negative idea. Um, and, and this is their way of, of flipping that, I think. I, I like the, the acronym. I like mm -hmm. the name. It draws people in. Um, it definitely it's does. It's provocative. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, th I think they've done a good job with their posters around campus and everything. They seem pretty put together. Um, I look forward to seeing what, how the RSO develops. It's always good to have a new RSO on mm -hmm. campus. Absolutely. And if anyone's looking for a similar RSO, there's a philosophy club called the Chicago Skeptic Society that I'm a part of. It's not focused on religion, but it's, you yeah. know, Mostly philosophy. Yeah, so I think I've seen a little similar. bit of them, a little bit from them too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Our last story of the day will be an update on the elections locally from Greg. Right. So earlier this month, Jeanette Taylor was re-elected 20, 20th Ward Alderman. Runoff elections for mayor, fourth ward alderman, and fifth ward alderman, where U Chicago is located, will take place April fourth. Fifth World Aldermanic candidates Desmond Yancey and Martina Tina Hone will advance to a runoff election on April 4th after accumulating the two highest vote counts among the 11 candidates running to replace incumbent Leslie Harrison, who is retiring after 24 years in office. Yancey, a community organizer and police accountability activist from South Shore, earned 26.1% of the vote, while Hone, a University of Chicago alum who most recently worked as the city's chief engagement officer, earned 17.83%. Elsewhere in Hyde Park, with 100% of votes tallied, Lamont Robinson, the Illinois State Representative for the 5th District, earned about 6,000 votes for 4th for fourth Ward Alderman, equivalent to 46%. Robinson's tally was more than three times as large as that of any other 4th Ward candidate. For a full breakdown of the vote, including a cool interactive infographic created by the Marin's new data visualization team, See the news article on the Marines website by Michael McClure. Yeah, this one will be interesting. Uh, local elections don't often get a, a lot of uh, a lot of notoriety, um, but this one is particularly important for the University of Chicago community as it will affect our representation. It will affect a lot of the laws, I imagine, with regards to housing um, and policies that many students, especially who are going to be moving off campus and out of the direct sphere of influence of the university, uh, will find quite relevant. 
local politics matter. Um, a lot of people like to just throw off local politics as something that is, you know, kind of small, doesn't affect my life, they have no power. Um, but the local government is, I, I think it's the heart of American government. Um, you know, yes, Congress does a lot of things, but these programs that get administered, the roads that get built, you know, the schools in, the, in, our, in our neighborhoods, you know, housing policies, zoning policies, that is all local government. Um, so I think people need to start looking more into local government and, and, and um, voting in, in local races because they are just so important. Um, I forget who said it. All politics is local. It is truly local. Are you partial to any local, any of the candidates? Uh, I am not partial in this election. Um, I still need to do further research on, on, on these candidates. Um, however, um, I definitely do plan on, on trying to come to understanding these candidates. Um, unfortunately, I do not vote um, in the Chicago elections as I'm a registered voter back in Massachusetts. What about the mayor? Hmm. I'm really torn between Vallis and, and Johnson. Um, I really like Johnson's progressive values. Um, I think we need to always have an eye towards the future, but I think there's also something to be said about Vallis's thoughts on, on safety. Um, I just have a fear that when it comes to safety policies, uh, more often than not, they can tend to come out inequitably uh, and, and harm um, people of color more than they do um, non-people of color. So I, I, I I'm, I'm kind of interested in both candidates, just really conflicted on, on the issue of safety and crime. Because um, on one hand, you know, I have been um, pickpocketed on the CTA. That's not a fun experience, um, having to buy a new wallet and getting a new ID and so forth. Not fun. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to see the war on crime happen on a smaller scale in Chicago again. So, Yeah, well, we'll see what happens on April 4th. We will. And unless anybody has anything else to say? I mean, okay, so we can talk about meta stuff. So stuff about the branch. As you guys listening already know, it's our 100th episode. And I will put the total number of minutes of the weekly that exist um, in the episode description. Something interesting. <laughs> um, the branch was started in like 2017. It's either It was either 2017 or either 2019. And by Austin, and then Isaac and Ram joined, and... The Spotify things were first uploaded January 26th of 2018. The very first episode of um, The Branch as a Whole was episode one of the Maroon Weekly, over five years ago now. And now we're all the way to episode 100. Wow. 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 Crazy to think about. Yeah, hopefully over the next five years and beyond, the podcast branch of the Maroon continues to grow, continues to put out other podcasts besides the Weekly, which are all very interesting and do great work and we hope that you as listeners continue to tell us what you think come come reach reach out to us and continue listening to our episodes because that's what we're here for as a new member of the podcast i've been embraced um with 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 great reception um and if you're interested in joining podcasts and you're listening to this right now um please join us you can always reach out to the podcast team um, if you have any questions about what it's like being a new person in podcast, you can always reach out to me. Um, so yeah, I think podcast is great. Um, I might be a bit biased, but we're the best section in the maroon. Uh, so yeah. I know that I feel lucky to be able to come here every week and 
get to know you all and go through the news and um, just have this platform. It, it's something that is centering for me, um, and I'm, I'm lucky to have this section, lucky to have the Maroon Weekly 100 episodes in. Yeah, I, I'm kind of disappointed. I never joined uh, earlier. I've been working for the Moon since 2019 on their copy team, but I actually only joined podcasts last spring, and I have really enjoyed it. It's something that I, that I wish I had found a little bit earlier. Yeah, Are we better me. than copy? <laughs> I'm not at liberty to say that. As <laughs> the copy team will be listening. Uh, I see how it is, Connor. Yeah. <laughs> as for me, I've been with the Grinch since, let's see, September, my first year. I have not gone back and listened to, like, my first episode. I'm not ready for that yet. Um, but I think for me, one of the reasons I love this is that it feels like I'm immortalizing something, something that I can look back on in however many years and be like, oh, look, this is, you know, it's like a, not a time capsule, but... Maybe a bit of a time capsule. It's a little yeah. bit of a like Digital yeah. footprint. Yeah. Never goes away. Oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> not just the news, but our own college selves. Yeah. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) But it's too soon for that. Hello, listeners. This is Greg chiming in. If you've made it this far in the 100th episode, first of all, thank you. Before you go, I have a small message. Right now, it's 12.34 a.m. I'm sleep-deprived, cooped up in my room, trying to finish editing the audio before morning, and I've just finished scouring the past 99 episodes for the sound bites that you heard in the intro. I realized that I never took the chance to formally thank everyone who's made the weekly possible. So thank you. First to Isaac and Ram, who entrusted me, a naive first year, to take over the branch. Thank you also to Carter and Jake, who have faithfully stuck by me this year and helped me manage everything. Thank you to Will and Pravan, have consistently pitched in these past few quarters. And finally, thank you to all of the many hosts and many guests who have appeared on the podcast over the past five years. Without you all, the Maroon wouldn't have a voice. Here's to 100 more. And with that, I'll let Pravon close us out. Well, thank you all for listening. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys again. I'm Pravon. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm Carter. And I'm Greg. And we'll see you next week. And I'm Miles. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.